All right, I'll give you the most inspired part of the sermon today by having you turn to the Word of God and have the Scripture reading. So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 13, please. Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read these scriptures here. This is Paul's first missionary journey. And as you're uh, listening, I want you to note, see if you can note uh, steps of development, steps along the way here of, um, of, of how God builds his church. Beginning in Acts, and this is, uh, I'm reading two chapters here. Uh, this, is, this is a longer than normal scripture reading, but I, I feel I need to, um, to give you the flow. Of, uh, of, of what, uh, what is going on in this first missionary journey. And so, as you're following along with me, again, uh, note the different steps, the specific plan that God has to build His church, beginning in verse, verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch cer- certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister, as their helper. And when they had gone through the isle to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bargesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus. The deputy would have been the proconsul there of the area. A prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O fool, full of all subtlety and all mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, you men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you that fear God, give audience. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelled as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm he brought them he out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness, evil ways. He endured their evil ways. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that, he gave to them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. 
And afterward they desired a king, and God gave to them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of four years. And when he had removed him, he raised up to them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed has God, according to his promise, raised Israel a savior, Jesus. When John first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Who think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you fears God, to you is this word of this salvation sent. For they dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not. Nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made to the prophets, God has fulfilled the same to us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten you. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he says also in another psalm, You shall not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid to his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised again, saw no corruption or decay. Be it known to you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which shall in no, you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it to you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, Many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blasphemy. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so has the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set you to be a light of the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women, and the chief men of the city, and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Ghost, 
And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected, bitter against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony to the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also the Jews of the rulers, they used them spitefully and to stone them. They were aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the region that lies round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, and never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly, beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and would have done sacrifice for the people. Which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach to you that you should turn from these vanities to the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in time past permitted all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice to them. And there came there certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. However, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel of that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed throughout the city, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia, and from there sailed to Antioch, from where they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. When they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. Well, we looked last week about redeeming the time because the days are evil and what God's work for us, what his work is that he's called us to do. And for to redeem the time on God's mission, what does it look like? We know that God has given us a commission in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations. What does that look like? What would it look like to go and, and declare the gospel? What does it look like then to baptize and then teach those who respond in belief to obey the things that God commanded? 
In Acts 13 and 14, Luke has specifically and on purpose given us a very detailed picture of what Paul's first missionary journey is. And he lays out what God's mission, God's kingdom work, God's, uh, uh, the, the work that, it, to use uh, Luke's words, the work that the Holy Spirit had separated them for, what that work looks like. And this is it. If you're wondering, this is it. This is it. This is what you can give your life to at a variety of levels. Engage in building Jesus' kingdom. Now, all of us would say, I'm not a Paul or a Barnabas here. They're both called apostles in this particular text uh, here. And uh, not in the sense of the Acts 1 apostles, which had been eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ. The idea of apostles is, is probably more of a, 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 a synonymous term with our term missionary. Envoys, sent ones here, overseeing a particular work here. What does the mission of God look like? Now, you'll notice in these first few verses of Acts chapter 30, 13, as God begins his mission of a revolution, and you'll notice at the end, in Acts, the end of Acts chapter 14, that everything comes full circle, doesn't it? It starts in Antioch, and then at the end of that journey, it ends. In Antioch, with a report, right? And even in, as you were uh, listening to the to the text here and following along, you notice certain cities that they went to, strategic cities, and then you'll notice them circling back to those cities on their way then back to Antioch. There is a deliberateness here. Um, anything else um, that is a ministry is supplementary to this tip of the spear, this thrust of what. God's mission work is, which is seeking worshipers. You also might notice throughout this text here a, the idea of the Word of God and people's response to the Word of God. If God is seeking worshipers, and, and the more people listen, and the more people take heed to the Word, the more that God does through that. So in Acts 13, you'll see... Barnabas and Paul, he's called Saul in his early years here, had labored in this church in Antioch for a couple years. They were recognized leaders of this church. They were actually the pioneers here of this church at Antioch. They were the leaders. And you'll notice that God had brought other uh, along in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, other leaders. And the way these words are, um, these names are, are listed and the descriptions that are with me showing us this was a very diverse group of leadership in Acts 13, verse 1. People of different classes, Menaean, which has been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, that's the same, that is, the, there's different Herods, that was the same Herod that chopped off John the Baptist's head. And he was, they had grown up as boys together, uh, Menaean and, and Herod. Uh, Simon, uh, that was called Niger here. Uh, most scholars believe he was, he was, he was a, uh, an, an African. Um, a variety of people, Lucius of Cyrene, which is another place in, in North Africa here. Paul, who was a Jew and a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but had spent time in Tarshish, a, a Roman Roman colony. And God had brought them together, and they were laboring as a team in this church, in the church of Antioch, and God takes the cream of the crop here. God takes Paul and or Saul and Barnabas, and he says, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, in verse 2, for the work whereto I have called them. God calls them. 
I want you to see that this work, this mission work in Acts 13 and 14 is not man's idea here. This is the Holy Spirit behind it all. And really, the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles. It is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The work. Now, that seems like such a broad work. The work whereto I had called them. What is that work? And that's what I hope to show you here from the passage here of, 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 of the steps, uh, the specific plan here of the Great Commission. Uh, what that looks like. What that looks like. And the thing I want you to get in your minds is that it's all about the local church and multiplying local churches. That's what the Great Commission is about. That's what it's about, so that the Lord receives the glory. So he says, separate for me the work which I have called them. Then notice, Spirit spoken, but they're also seeking the Spirit about that. There's fasting, there's praying, and there is a commissioning. Laid hands on them, then they what? Verse 3, they sent them away. This is an unselfish church, isn't it? They could have said, but Paul, we learned so much from you. But Paul, you know, you're our, you're our favorite teacher. Barnabas, you're such an encourager. What are we going to do? Listen, God's got that handle. His kingdom is bigger than any church, than any one church. Um, he, will, he said, I will build my church. Right? His kingdom is bigger than any of that. And so they sent them out, trusting the Lord with that. And so verse 4 says, so... That it's interesting, verse 3 says, they sent them away, and verse 4 says, so, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And you see how the Holy Spirit uses the church, and uh, there's this interplay here. Uh, the church affirms, recognizes what God has already said, and they, 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 they participate that. And they go, and where do they go? So the first thing I'd like you to see there is what it means to be sent. What it means to be sent. Sent by a local church as the authority. Uh, mission boards have their places, and they provide help in, in ways that sometimes churches can't. But ultimately, the authority comes down to the local church, the body of believers here. And so notice the first step, send, send. Then notice the second, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They go through the island of Paphos, uh, or excuse me, they, um, verse 4, they go to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, to Cyprus. Why Cyprus? Barnabas was from Cyprus. And here's the second idea here. You're sent, and then you connect. Barnabas knew people at Cyprus. Natural relationships that he might have known. Family members. People he may have grown up with. That's where he goes. Connect. So he connects, first of all, to people. And why you connect to people? Not with that as the end, but so that you can then connect people to the living God. So he goes to Cyprus, the people that he knows, the culture that he knows, and he, obviously there's 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 uh, details that that go on in this in this uh, this trip here. There's a some um, uh, persecution here. There's some some pushback here, but God does a work. And then they go to the synagogue. Why do they go to the synagogue first, and then to the Gentiles? Well. Paul was a Jew. Barnabas was a Jew. They would have, this would have been a, a, a common place where they would have, at this point, been allowed to speak. They're connecting with the things they know. They're finding a point of contact. And so, as you're engaging in the Great Commission here, regardless of whether you are sent on a full-time basis like, like Paul and Barnabas here, 
your job as you go in life is to connect with people, to connect them with Jesus. You'll notice as they're ministering in these two chapters, there are different approaches they take. And the approaches are limited to how the people respond. If people want more, just like Jesus' ministry, they're going to give them more. If not, then they're going to follow Jesus' uh, first um, uh, words, and I believe the, the book of Luke, where he sends out the 70, and he says, if they're, going to, if they're not going to want more, then shake off the dust and go somewhere else. Find hungry people. Find hungry people. God is seeking worshipers. God is already doing a work. Listen, as you're engaging with people in the Great Commission and making disciples, what you need to understand is your perceptions may or may not be true about other people. You might think they're the farthest thing from the kingdom of God. But little do you know what God has been already doing in their hearts. You might think that they're wide open and they might be far away. So don't trust your perceptions, but trust and rely on the Holy Spirit. Listen, the work of the Holy Spirit is always way beyond when the headlines come out. The news and the headlines come out later. The Holy Spirit is already doing work here. And they're engaging with that. They don't have the Holy Spirit's uh, eyes on hearts. They don't know that. That's his job. It's not their job. They're going to be messengers. And so they're going to be messengers. They're going to work. They're going to love. They're going to labor. And they're going to trust the Holy Spirit then to do the rest and guide them. What was their approach to different people? Their approach in the synagogue was to go back to the scriptures and say, you're reading these scriptures. You know what these scriptures say. What are you missing here? You're missing that the one who came from David's line that these scriptures are testifying was Jesus of Nazareth, who was killed by you and others, who was killed, nailed to the cross, but God raised him from the dead and gave him witnesses of this. So he's, he's, he, is, he is speaking to their point of contact and showing how this is what is true and this is what is good that you're embracing. This is where it needs to go. And this is where you have erred. But what about the Gentile? Does he have the same approach to the Gentile who doesn't have that background? No. He doesn't launch into all the terminology that the Jew would have known. All the religious words and activities that the Jew wouldn't have known. What does he start with? He starts with a creator God. And he starts to begin to frame out things that they would have known and seen in natural revelation. Creation that testifies to the glory of God. Everybody knows rain and sun. And if you're in an agricultural society, you know how important that is. And he says, the one true living God brought that. And so he's connecting with people where they can connect in order to take them to Jesus. In fact, if you look at his words there in, uh, in uh, Lystra, um, where there's stone, before that goes bad, by the way, there's a whole story behind why they thought um, they were, um, why the people of Lystra thought they were um, uh, the two gods, uh, Mercurius and, and, and Jupiter. <clears throat> whole story behind that. No time to go into um, but they only got to go a little bit into that, right? But that, that engaging with that particular culture, listen, I'm sorry, if you have a canned approach, a canned presentation of the gospel, yes, God can use that, but it will not be as effective as understanding where people are coming from and, 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 and connecting with that in order to get them to the Lord Jesus. Jesus did this all the time, didn't he? 
He had a different approach to the woman at the well. He used something that they had in common, and he brought her to what she needed to understand. He had a different approach with a rich young ruler, with Nicodemus. Um, uh, we don't have many uh, engagements with Jesus with a Gentile, beside the Roman, uh, Roman centurion whose servant was sick, but one of the things he connected with the Roman centurion was the idea of authority. He speaks, and this happens. And the Roman centurion resonates with that, and the military uh, understanding, and the Lord uh, uh, uses that to get through to his heart. So what I'm saying is that after the, after the step of being sent, the step, uh, and by the way, we're sent maybe not in the same capacity and the same way that Paul and Barnabas were, was, but we're sent in the ordinary life, aren't we here? Sometimes we look at our jobs or we look at our livings or we look at our homes as the reason we exist in reality. Those are some things that help support the cause of Jesus' mission here, making disciples. And so sent and then connect. Connect to people. Connect to Jesus. He uses a common point with them to connect to the Lord Jesus. And by the way, what is his message? This is always what he's trying to get to. Whether he was in the synagogue or whether he was speaking to those, those, those pagans, those Gentiles. If you look in Acts chapter 13 and verse um, uh, 28 through 32, you see the core elements of his message. Jesus being put to death, laid in a tomb in verse 29, verse 30, raised from the dead. Good news. God has done this for the forgiveness of your sins. They're guilty before a holy God, and this is what he's provided. Forgiveness of sins in verse 38. This man has preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and verse 39, by him everyone who believes is declared perfectly righteous. Declared Perfectly obedient to God. Declared, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses, by keeping the law of Moses. You need a righteousness that comes from Christ, not your own righteousness. Some respond. And so in verse 43, those who believe, he persuades them to continue in the grace of God. And what happens? Verse 49, the word of God spreads. You see this pattern come up again in Acts 14. Uh, here, uh, turn, repent, turn from these useless things, the living God. In verse, verse 15 of Acts chapter 14, God has passed over these things. And it, it, he starts out very similar to his sermon at Antioch, speaking at Mars Hill. But it, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he can't get any further. Things kind of stopped there, but I'm sure he would have gotten further and talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says, they, uh, with what he said, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes uh, from, from sacrificing uh, to them. And then the Jews come from Antioch and Iconium and uh, had that bad taste in their mouth, and they persuade the city leaders and the people of that city to turn against them. So here's the first two steps. Send, connect. Connect the people, connect the God. Here's the third step. Look in verse 21. And if you want to really boil this down, Acts 14, 21 through 23 really boils this down. Notice the steps here. Then they preach the gospel to that city. <clears throat> Acts 14, 21 says this. And had taught many. 
They returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming, that's the word epistorizo, it means strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so there's discipleship, right? You have people responding. How hungry are they? How much do they want? They, 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 have, they have just uh, sworn allegiance to Jesus, right? They believed upon his name. Jesus is the one true way. He's my only Savior. He's my only Redeemer. He's the one true God. Uh, he's the one who has died, was buried, and was raised again. They have sworn allegiance to him. And they've exhibited that, we're assuming here, as Paul's practice was, though it's not um, explicitly declared here, through, through, through baptism, right? Displayed that. Now Paul's going to teach them to obey. Teach them to obey. In fact, that word in verse 21, and had taught many. That word taught is the word mathetes. It's the, it's the word uh, that is translated even in other places, in our particular translation here, of making disciples. Of making disciples. And he had taught many. He returned and he circles back to those who responded. And he forms congregations. Verse 22. Strengthens the souls of the disciples. He instructs them in the, in the, in the key uh, articles of the faith. He, he exhorts them to continue in the faith, not to quit. He tells them in the end of verse 22 that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. When you read that, you might hear that and say, what is he saying? That we're saved through suffering for Jesus. That's what saves us. And that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. Being a disciple of Christ comes with it something that you need to expect and not be surprised by. This is part of part of what God has, has told us, that you will suffer persecution. But in the end, when you, uh, when you enter the future kingdom of God, there is a, a great reward. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying here. So send, connect to people, connect to Jesus. Third, disciple. Disciple. Show them how to carry on to continue in the life that God has brought them into. But that's not enough, is it? <clears throat> because there were some who in that group had shown some maturity, <clears throat> shown some leadership. And they can't just depend on Paul. Paul's a physical person. Just as Jesus was on this earth, he said, it's going to be better for me to leave and leave this person with you, the Holy Spirit in you. Paul understands that he's going to have to leave and he needs to pass the baton. And so the fourth thing he does is he entrusts. What does he place over these congregations? Well, verse 23 says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. He entrusts them. He installs uh, teams of pastors in these churches here. These churches weren't necessarily large. Many of them were, 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 were their gathering size was limited to the place where they could gather, which many times would, would be the courtyard of a wealthy member in the church, a wealthier member. Uh, might be in the, in the, in the, in the uh, particular uh, living space of the house or, or outside, but generally they were not particularly large, and uh, they needed to have shepherding leadership. And so Paul entrusts them over to this shepherding leadership with 
with, with as we learn later on in, about elders in Acts chapter 20. This is the second time that's come up in Acts. It's come up with the elders at, at uh, Jerusalem in uh, chapter 11, I believe. This is the second time. The third time it will come up in Acts chapter 20. A team of men who help shepherd and oversee and lead this church. Paul will give um, the qualifications for what that means and the character they need to exhibit in their own lives and other places, their particular tasks here. But the fourth thing is they entrust. They entrust. And why can Paul pass this baton? Because look what he says. Look what Luke records in verse 23. They prayed with fasting, and they commended or entrusted them to the Lord on whom they believed. There is a trust in the Holy Spirit to do things that I'm afraid is not as present in many of our modern day churches as was in Paul's day. Sometimes we're control freaks. And missionaries and variety of cultures learn when they're control freaks, you know, who people tend to lean on and trust. They become very dependent and they enable the people to simply depend on the ones who are supposed to be turning over leadership. It can happen in American churches as well. And so Paul here is passing this baton. That's not to say he's not going to have any contact with them. So how does Paul do his ministry? He sends key men to check in, right? He writes letters to them. Uh, he, he, he continues to engage. Some of these places he'll visit again. Not all of them. He can't. The work's any, bigger than any one man. Anyone who engages in, in ministry will understand that very quickly. That you need other people rising to the top. People who have ears to hear. People who are teachable. People who are available. Uh, people who are faithful. So Paul will say in 2 Timothy 2, 2, that one of the key things Timothy needs to focus on, at the end of Paul's life, Paul tells him this, as Timothy labors in the church of Ephesus, well, there is a, there is a team of elders there. He says, teach faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Just like I taught you. To see this chain going. To see this continue here. And so there's, there's, there's send, there's connect, there's disciple, there's entrust, but that's not it. Because we said this comes full circle, right? And so this comes full circle with verse 26. And from there they sailed to Antioch, from where they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they left. Fulfilled. Where have you seen that idea of work before in this chapter, in this section? The beginning in Acts 13, Paul said, uh, the Lord says, the Holy Spirit says, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have called them to. And the Holy Spirit sends them out, the people sent them out, the church affirms that, and now they've completed the work. What is that work? I think you could summarize that work, this great commission work, with these things that we've looked at this morning. Send, connect to people, connect them to the Lord. Disciple those who respond in faith and repentance. Disciple them, strengthen them, and trust leadership. And now, at the end, testify. Number five, testify. And when they were come, 
Where? Back to Antioch, where they started. And had gathered the church together, they rehearsed, they talked over, they discussed all that God had done with them. Notice, they didn't say all the things that we had done, but all the ways that God used us like instruments. They were awed by that. And how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. This is, this is the first time there's been a Gentile mission here. The gospel had gone to Jerusalem. It had gone to Samaria with Philip. But this is the first full. And it had gone to the Gentile God-fearer type with Cornelius and Peter. Now we're talking straight pagans, right? This is the first missionary journey here, we say. And so he testifies. He testifies. Because here's what we need to understand as local churches. Missionaries are extensions of us. They're extensions of us engaging in places that you and I probably aren't going to go. Not that you can't go. Because you would be tremendously blessed, probably more than the blessing you would bring other people, to other people, but you would be tremendously blessed by seeing some of this work on the, on the foreign field. Of course, not everybody's going to do that, but I encourage you um, uh, to, 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 uh, to not throw that out of your life possibilities here. This doesn't have to be something that you only hear about and see pictures of. Um, we, we spend money on cruises. We spend money on other things. Um, I guarantee you'd be blessed a lot more than... By the way, I'm not saying if you go on a cruise, you're being sinful and wasting your money. <laughs> I wouldn't mind going on a cruise. <laughs> what I am saying is, have you ever considered visiting missionaries on their field? Um, they're testifying. They're partners. They're extensions of us. They're extensions of us. And um, they report back. They're partners. They were sent out. And then what do they do? What do Paul and Barnabas do? They say... Oh, man. Uh, okay, that was our thing. We're done serving the Lord here. When they're with the church, what are they doing? They're there with the disciples. They're there in Antioch. They're there. They, 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 they spend time there with the church, engaging and serving in it. Um, they were members of it to begin with, right? And they went on a short-term trip. They came back. And now they're going to serve in their local church. And then, later on, uh, they're going to go back to some of those very places. Some of those very places. What do we see from this? Well, friends, have you ever thought of how South Hope Community Church came to be? Is what we read here just the good old days, and this doesn't happen today? Because there was a small group of believers that gathered. They had been touched by the gospel in different places. But they were gathered. And God brought upon a man and some other men along the way to strengthen and build that church and to see things multiply. This is our heritage as well. And it should be of every church. Every church's heritage. This is the Great Commission. This is God's mission revolution. This is us. This isn't just them and wow, look what God, this is us. You're the result of this. 
And the idea of, of God's great commission and seeing multiplying churches is to continue today. Understand the, from, the, from these uh, words this morning, understand the thrust of gospel work of the Holy Spirit is to eventually see multiplying churches so that one day there will be people, as we look at this from a global perspective, from every nation, tongue, and tribe, and kindred, praising God and giving Him glory for the redemption that the Lamb has purchased. Understand that. And you say, well, what's my responsibility in this? There's a lot of applications to give. Here's a few simple ones. I think a key in this is be obedient to the Word of God at every chance. At every chance. God does tremendous things through hungry sheep. Find part of this process that we looked at today in Acts 13 and 14. To use your gifts and calling to enhance and to pour into. Dive in, support, participate. You may be a sender. Or you may be a goer. And by the way, a lot of people who spoke on a mission says, we all need to assume we're goers until God tells us to stay home and say we're senders. By the way, being a sender doesn't mean you're passive at home either. Just because you're not in a foreign field or a different culture. But how do you participate in diamond support as a sender? How did the early church do it in Acts 13? They held the ropes. They supported prayer. I mentioned the possibility of visits. Uh, certainly funds. They held the ropes. Maybe in this great mission of God's work of the Great Commission, you are a person who is a connector. You connect to people, and you can connect people to people. Use that gift if you're a people person. Lee, you're this kind of a guy. You're good with people. You can connect with people and begin conversations. Use that to, 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 uh, to, to use for the Great Commission. Some of you are multipliers. You're, you tend to be entrepreneurs in your mindset, and you can see things that should start up and multiply to see God's kingdom advance. Put those gifts to use for the kingdom. Some of you are nurturers. You are wonderful listeners. You counsel. You are willing to listen, to instruct, to pray. And by the way, these are all things that we all should be but some of us excel more in these than others, right? Harness that for the kingdom of God. Some of you have leadership capabilities here. Work on the character qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 here. To see God raise you up more and more. Not for the crown of leadership, but to be able to servant care for more and more people. Some of you have natural gifts of leadership to see leaders develop, other leaders developed. Um, Ethan uh, Troster just has this burning uh, passion to do this and is laboring at particular levels to see this with young people. And then all of us 
can rejoice to hear what God has done through the efforts and labors of his people. Let me just work through some of these things that I, that I talked about here for, give me a couple minutes here. Some of you are gifted to innovatively start new ventures to expand the kingdom of God. Now I want to ask you a couple questions. What makes your heart come alive when you think about it or do it when you're working for the Lord? Do you have a dream for God's kingdom so deep in your heart that you know it's impossible without God doing the work? That might be your focus. Some of you are gifted to creatively connect and express the heart of God the Father and His and His and His truth and exhort people to be faithful to God and serve Him. And you see a need to communicate and you want to use grace and truth to do that to build people up. Some of you are gifted to powerfully proclaim the good news of Christ and inspire people to repentance and faith. Not because the power is in your message. But God's gifted you in a special way to do that. And let me encourage you um, to have three people that you pray for each morning for five minutes each. And then you, as you uh, uh, water that soil, then you go and till that ground by coming to them from a servant approach and asking them what their story is, what makes them tick. Look for doors and windows that are opened or cracked to give the opportunity to tell how God has changed you. How you were before you submitted to the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. How Jesus saved and converted you and what life has been like since. Some of you are gifted to care for the soul and create connections and inspire a togetherness, a community, a unity, and, and uh, the healing that comes in Jesus. You might not be a pastor, but you have certain pastoral gifts like this. You, you inspire healing in Jesus and help people walk from shame to freedom, and you're with them along the way. You're not just telling them what they need to do, but you're going to be arm in arm with them. You're telling them to walk in frustration or anxiety to peace in Jesus, from anger to surrender, and you help with right thinking and right living. You're, 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 you have a shepherd's heart. Some of you are gifted to, to, uh, to give instruction in God's Word. And by this I mean that when people hear the instruction of the Word of God that comes from you, they understand the Bible better. They're not sitting in more confusion. Um, you, have, you, you inspire clear understanding and applying as you're surrendered to the Spirit and using this particular gift. You're good at asking powerful, thought-provoking Questions and help people discover and helping find the Word of God's answers to those questions. That's a small sampling here. Small sampling. But they're all connected to the Word of God. I don't know which one you resonated with or others that or I haven't even mentioned that you resonated, but use it for God's great commission work. So, how do we redeem the time? Find your niche. And what we saw in Acts 13 and 14. And get to it. And do it without fear because you're going to fail. Can we just get that out there for all of us? You're going to fail. 
you'll probably have people upset with you over time. What do you notice about Paulinus? This faith is no different than the faith we have, right? He endures, continues. And today, if we had Paul come up here and stand before you as a much better speaker than the one before you, and we asked him, Paul, is that really worth it? What will Paul say? What will Paul say? Let's keep the Lord's work at the forefront. This isn't a new innovative thing. These are the old paths. These are the ancient practices. Moving from what we might think we exist for to what God has saved us to participate in. For his glory. Let's pray. Lord, each of us is a together is a body. We're so very different, so very unique, certainly. Lord, you have given us a task. You have given us a calling to see your great work, the heart of God for the people of the world, to come to faith in him, to find life, become people of light instead of the destructive darkness that we are as default are born into and rebellion. Lord, there is... Um, there is much joy in serving Jesus. So Lord, help us to discover the ways that you've uniquely gifted us to participate in this great cause. There may be some in this room who you will call at a, uh, a, a certain level here to be uh, full-time or take short-term uh, work here as Paul and Barnabas did. The way that you gifted them, the opportunities you give. Lord, regardless, we know that wherever we're at, we are to harness the opportunities you've given us, the God-given appointments, and to use them for your glory. To lean into our gifts, to not excuse our weaknesses for disobedience, and to grow in those as well, to become uh, the full stature, the measure, the fullness of Christ. Lord, help us to engage in obedience here. Give us, give us the eyes to see that. The eyes of the Holy Spirit sees the world through. Now, that doesn't come, Lord, unless we really have our vision sharpened for eternal things like we 